Welcome to Behind the Brands. So, you found us. <laughs> well done, you. Our little podcast all about the fashion industry. Let me just tell you about the host and the creator of this podcast. The guy's from the UK and his name is Warren Parker Mills. Warren's literally worked with some of the best people in the business and met some incredible brands along the way. Now he feels it's time to kind of do things a little differently. He'll be catching up with amazing storytellers from across the globe as they share some of those unwritten secrets that they've managed to figure out for themselves. From brands you'll recognize to small artisan creators that have mastered their craft. You'll hear about their collections, sales, and their ongoing quest for sustainability. So if you're an aspiring designer, an influencer, or just a massive fan of listening to fascinating conversation, stay right where you are. Hey, welcome to the podcast. Welcome to today's show. I hope you've had a good week. Thanks very much for coming back and listening to me and listening to my conversations with yet another exceptional guest. Um, In today's show, I'm going to introduce you to a conversation I had with somebody that's not a designer. They're not a brand owner. They're not a wholesaler. They're not even a supplier. This is someone potentially kind of on the edge of our industry, but this is somebody that is classified as an artist. Um, I'm going to be talking to a guy called Ian Berry and Ian has got an exceptional talent. He basically creates incredible masterpieces entirely from denim. He painstakingly identifies that perfect piece of fabric from thousands of pairs of jeans, puts them together and voila, he has created something really, really quite impressive. So do yourself a favor, whilst you're listening to this podcast, head over to Ian's Instagram and go to Ian Berry Art. Take a look at his work, enjoy the podcast, enjoy everything that he has to say, but more importantly, just, just check his work out. Honestly, it will blow your mind. And I shall see you on the other side. Hey Ian, how you doing? Are you well, mate? Are you all good? Hey Warren, uh, yeah, good to see you. Yeah, yeah, excellent. Well, listen, I wanted to get you on the podcast because I saw your work, dare I say, on Instagram, on social media, which we can cover off later on in the conversation. Um, but I was just blown away, man. I was just absolutely blown away. The quality, and I had to really, I've been watching videos about you. I've been stalking you from afar, honestly, because what you do and the way that you use your talent using denim as a as a medium is 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 unbelievable and I want to cover that obviously but I just want to find a little bit more about you as a person as well you know because I think with any creative there's always an underlying um message that that person's obviously wants to get across to their audience through their work and also hopefully through a podcast like this so have you always been creative Ian have you always has that always been your think yes um you know i do a lot of projects with schools now because uh, i want um people to see what you can do with creativity because i was a, a young boy up in huddersfield up mm. in uh, west yorkshire you know we brought up uh, to think that we can't be artists and we can't be creative really? we can't really be anybody i'm not i'm not saying a blanket thing i think it's just uh you know it's, it's not just west yorkshire it's um a lot of places you brought up but from yeah. a very young age like my own little boy now I was drawing uh, people spotted that I was quite good at it yeah um you know it's, it's quite funny because my uh, local newspaper turns 150 this year okay and not to mention a newspaper because it's a local rag now uh, yeah. it used to be something to be very proud of 
the local media has completely gone. But 125 years, when I was only 11, I actually did the poster for the uh, <laughs> for really the, for the thing, and like yeah. I went to you know new friends' houses or people's houses at the time, and they got it up on the wall or a mug wow. of it or a tita. But yeah. the paper made thousands out of me, and I got a Goodness. three pound gift gift voucher. But that just shows I was um, you know, drawing, creating things at the time. Yeah, you know, did well at school, but yeah. at 18. Um, I went off to Australia for the for summer. Came back, didn't go to art school. On the on the day they were even calling me to see where I was, and uh, okay. ended up on uh, uh, like an advertising course. You know, yeah. I, I saw more of a career in uh, advertising, and to be honest, I ended up at Buckinghamshire Chilterns University College. It was called then, mm-hmm. um, but Bucks New Uni, I think it's called now. Yeah, and it was one of the best advertising courses in the country. And you know, we're actually in every day. Uh, lectures on Wednesday nights and you know I fell in love for a time with advertising and yeah found it really really creative you know I think it was as, as creative as any fine art course yeah if I'm, if I'm probably being blunt and yeah you know, didn't learn anything other than looking differently at things and okay. trying to be okay. original and unique and yeah so do you yeah. think do you think that you know your time in the advertising agency because I think this is this is not an issue with creative people but sometimes mm-hmm. they they lack sometimes the commerciality you know of of making it into a proper job I know that's I'm not don't want to be derogatory but you know there is a lot of people who are so so talented you know especially designers or or, or you know anyone in that field and they they sometimes let themselves down really with their full potential because they don't quite get the mechanics of how to make money do you think that helped you in one part, yes. In another, you know, I was advertising brands like Guinness. Eventually, oh, okay. when I went into, into work, yeah. I was in advertising like Guinness and Nissan, wow. British wow. Airways. Um, if boys, you go to yeah. a bar, my, my label and strap lines on a Talisker whiskey bottle. Oh, uh, cool. Which, forget all this denim stuff. I'm more proud of that, to be honest. <laughs> <laughs> um, it's all blue as well. <laughs> right. Uh, you know, but the thing is, I was advertising somebody else. You come up with yeah. ideas, but to advertise yeah. yourself is so so much different. You mm-hmm. know, to 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 name drop things or to to drop things, it just doesn't have the same angle, really. Sure. Um, yeah. I'll also say that you know my work, I have been commercially successful. Yeah. Um, especially for my age, I've been you know very commercially successful. I've lived mm-hmm. on my work for you know well over a decade and more. Wow. I've been yeah. doing it 15, 16 years. Yeah. And have I over commercialized myself? No. Have I worked out ways to really reach a lot of people? No. Uh, I've not wanted to look like an artist too many other times. I'm not wanting to, you know, give the people what they want. Yeah. You know, people come to the show as they see things, they're like, oh, I really want that. And, you know, the smaller things that I could have done, you know, so I haven't really set up to do that. So, yeah, maybe mm-hmm. I've fallen behind on, on those things as well. But hopefully I've got a long future. And, you know, I've always paced myself. I've always wanted yeah. to. No, I've said no to ninety nine percent of the things I've ever been offered, and wow, I wanted to okay. pace myself to yeah. to make sure it's my work to concentrate on, you know, and do what I want to do rather than getting involved in things where people dictate their own things. Yeah. Because it, yeah. to, to be honest, when I do commissions, I, you know, I'm a hard worker. I put a lot of work into things, but I find that you know, if I spent six months on some kind of commission with somebody. Mm-hmm. Uh, I could have made a whole body of work to get yeah. to the museum. Yeah, galleries, yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, yeah. Even with all the cuts and commissions, yeah. I actually make more money out of that. Wow. Okay. So, um, so it's a balance. So I only take things which I really believe in and yeah. want, want to do. Amazing. Now, I know this is a podcast, so obviously the listeners don't have the joy of seeing your backdrop there, which is mm. unbelievable. I mean, just to describe it to the listeners, I mean, it's 
it's just a sea of blue denim and cuts up pieces of denim. And I mean, it's just amazing. How did you get into this medium? I mean, what was it about denim? You know, when you've, if you've got an artistic creative slant, it's all right getting into a niche, but denim, why denim? Why did you get into that? What was it about denim? Um, there's, there's many, there's many ways that I got into it, but I mean, literally the, you know, the first moment was, I'd been at uni, I'd made a, a portrait of Tony Blair and Gordon Brown, which kind of oh, okay. ages the process when they were bickering <laughs> about Gordon Brown about to take over, I think he was. Yeah. Uh, so I made it out of newspaper and, mm-hmm. you know, it was a fake ad for The Guardian. And I went home, you know, with this collage in mind. Uh, and, you know, it was Easter. My mum and dad, well, my mum, <laughs> I always say that she gets angry at me. Uh, you know, I was starting to prepare me never coming home because it was near the end of university i was mm-hmm. probably going to move into london which i did do and you know there was a big pile of jeans there okay uh, along with other things which i wish it hadn't found and you know i saw the different shades for different uh, tones contrasting and you know this is the point where you know the, the memory fades often when i'm telling this story now because it's so long ago yeah but you know i I think it was only when working with it, they'll start thinking, oh, I remember when I was wearing these. I remember that occasion. And I started noticing my own connection to jeans. Okay. And bearing in mind, like, I I grew up in the 90s. You know, my my youth was in the 90s. And I think denim wasn't actually that popular then. I mean, I no. remember around, around 2000s wanting combat pants and stuff. And I hated denim at the time. I actually yeah. hated yeah. the roughness of it. Yeah. And I think 90s, you know, in a lot of places, denim was a bit naff. You know the, mm-hmm. the the worst stage of it. Everywhere else is followed fashion; it's been the leading fashion, and you know, now it's a boom. But we forget this little blip. You know, maybe even for a few years, even. Mm-hmm. Um, so it wasn't even naturally from any love. But then afterwards, around you know, only a few years before this, I remember you know my mum forced me to wear corduroy, <laughs> and okay, now that can be cool. Yeah. And being at a family gathering, and you know, with half cousins there, and all these guys were all cool, they all had jeans on and stuff. I remember being so self conscious, okay. So I was like, right, from now, jeans are my, are my clothes. Also, because I was in advertising, I started being interested in denim. I looked some things up, and I was just so fascinated. And it like seems so gimmicky now, but I was so so blown away. You know, when you're trying to make advertising, and you know, you're trying to change the world, now that's the mm-hmm. idea of advertising, you're trying to change perceptions. You know, people think advertising is shout, 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 discount mm-hmm. and stuff. But what we mm-hmm. were doing is, you know, trying to place things, change perceptions. So, be, so being in advertising, I was blown away when, like, looking first into denim. Mm-hmm. Uh, characters like, you know, icons like Marilyn Monroe, James Dean, Marlon Brando, which, you know, anybody who does anybody now does denim, you know, it's, it's cliched kind of denim story history now. Um mm-hmm. But from from an advertising perspective, I was blown away by this change of perceptions of these guys wearing it. And, you know, bear in mind, I'm getting misinformation secondhand from films mm-hmm. and books. It changed perceptions, especially like James Dean, Rebel Without a Cause, Wild One, Brando, Elvis and Jailhouse Rock, where ironically, a lot of the times I think he didn't actually even want to wear jeans, but <laughs> everybody <laughs> wanted to look like him. Yeah. Um, and obviously for the women, Marilyn Monroe. And, you know, in future, there's a lot more a lot more um, different figures and different trends and movements, which made jeans what it is now, this go-to mm-hmm. item. And I was just fascinated by that from an advertising perspective. So I was just wanting to make their faces in yeah. material that they became famous for. Ironically, at the time, I was wanting to do footballers out of football shirts and Nelson Mandela out of um, 
um, the South African rugby shirt. <laughs> that would be cool. Would yeah, be cool. <laughs> I can't believe I actually said that someone's going to do that. Now, the reason I did it, I was just couldn't get hold of the South African rugby shirt. <laughs> yeah. Um, so yeah, then you know, then I started cutting up denim, uh, doing these things, and I, you know, fell in love with the um, uh, the idea of you know me wearing it. But when other mm. people started seeing them, mm-hmm. I saw a reaction which was strange. Um, I mean, bearing in mind. In the early 2000s, when I really, you know, started wanting to get back into art, I was going into London every week and in and around London, and I moved into London. Mm-hmm. And I was growing up before Banksy became famous and the street artists, so it was that kind of inspiration that I got, um, that kind of, you know, we don't care what education we've got, we don't care what background, we just want to do something creative, put it on the street. Mm-hmm. And yeah. Yeah. people saw it, and, you know, I think that changed a lot of the art world. Mm-hmm. You know, so that got me going. I ended up moving to Australia. Okay. Um, while I was doing these, carrying on with the work out there. And, you know, where I kept pushing the technique, you know, it's so versatile. So I was teaching myself new techniques because, you know, there's no, there's nothing to, you know, get inspiration from. I had to self teach. And I wasn't even, you know, I'm not from textiles. Yeah. You know, I'm from Huddersfield, you know, famous <laughs> textile town, ironically, wool um uh which you know the first denim actually had wool in it when it was in need okay. but yeah. but you know it's not synonymous you know it's sort of the pennines in lancashire which was synonymous with um with wool so um i don't you know i just kept i don't know it was this feeling but i could connect with people it became like a language yeah. that allowed people in but even yeah. now when people see the work they don't realize it's genes so like okay, when people look yeah. from it from afar, they don't realize it's jeans. Mm-hmm. So um but I still think there's something in my jeans which seems so familiar, so accessible, so every day that invites people in to see my work. Mm-hmm. So when you're when you're obviously creating your stuff, because I know we've spoken before and you said that obviously it's built up over layers and using those gradient layers, you're building like a three obviously you're building a 3D picture, aren't you? When you're trawling your <laughs> your pile of denim um and you're working out have you got it in your mind's eye what you want the next piece of fabric to look like or is, how does that work here and i'm fascinated well just for, for people who can't see this uh, behind is probably about three or four thousand pairs of jeans it's all mm-hmm. layered uh, it's all like piled up behind me but it's all in a palette so you go from light to dark on the floor there's a lot of you know good interesting jeans around the side i've got mm-hmm. like um I kind of have the old Levi's Wrangler, which I get a lot of donations of, um, which, you know, that kind of fairly worn jeans, the fades are, you know, sometimes dirtier. So, like, the denim is kind of uniform, um, so Mm -hmm. it's all kind of one shade. But hanging on the walls is all the jeans which have shades, like the gradients, like heavily washed or in laundry process of cat's whiskers, Mm -hmm. you know, sanding, um, you know, all the different things which I kind of use in the work, which... I call my magic, uh, which is all the um, gradients. But as you'll know, like, there's obviously different casts in denim, so I yeah. have to you know go in and choose different shades of denim, but also match the cast as well, so it all kind of blends in. So when you stand back, it becomes all you know, it looks like a painting. But when you mm-hmm. get close, for example, a laundrette piece I did years ago, I remember counting yeah. 15 layers wow. of jeans from the back of it to the top, where the ring went around the um, the door of a washing machine. You know, that's a you know, laundrette 
you know, it would take a lot of time. What I normally do is get about seven or eight pairs of jeans to start off with from light to dark around the studio. Mm-hmm. And then as I'm working, you know, add in more. But those master seven jeans are the kind of like go-to things. And you know, I know you're interested in where I get the jeans from. And mm. um, you know, I started as my jeans, you know, but, but you know, I mentioned my bedroom. It started as those pairs. Yeah. And then friends' jeans, family's jeans, their friends' jeans, their neighbors' jeans. Um, <laughs> then I've given them send um you know from different parts of the world charity shops vintage stores but i haven't really got them for years and years and to be honest right now i get a lot from um you know denim mills and brands who send yeah. me their samples for um, okay. you know practice ones so yeah. it's great because with that you might get you know 10 or 20 30 pairs of the same same ones yeah so it's like having a big pot of paint rather than a small yeah. one yeah yeah and just to you know i think your audience will probably know this it's just that sometimes i have to say it to the uh, layman audiences but you know these jeans are not really jeans that can be worn you know they're often cropped somewhere so they can't be worn or there's um yeah you know i've done it myself where i've gone out for you know because i'm a sample size 32 32 so, mm-hmm. um, or at least I was pre-COVID, <laughs> and I, <laughs> I I put on these jeans, and there was one went out, and I realised the crotch had been cut. <laughs> I thought, oh, I like it, isn't it? The crotch had been cut, or, or something. And there was another thing very, very early on. A friend of mine had done it there, and I, I thought, oh, this is quite nice. I'll put these on, and then I had lunch with him. Very stressed, realizing. I hope you don't realize I've got your jeans on. <laughs> yeah. Oh so, my um, goodness. I mean, yeah, the thing so is, you, you must be an absolute expert in, in, in obviously, I mean, I know you mentioned about the cast of jeans, but, you know, when you get these come through, is are you feeling, are you understanding a lot more about the technical, the manufacturing perspective? Because you must, obviously, you know the brand, you know you know where they originate from. Do you get an, a real feeling of, of the people that have created those jeans? Is that, is that something that's important to you as, you as you're building your imagery up? Oh, there's two sides of that question I want to answer. Which one first? Um, so one is, one is um, people now think I'm an expert in denim. And yes, to the layman of the street, I do know mm-hmm. a lot more. I know a lot more than I need to know. Yeah, um, I get that. Yeah. You know, my, my work isn't all about it being made in jeans and it's not say for the denim industry and sometimes yeah. I get I feel like now with Instagram with you know going on LinkedIn I see more denim stuff than I do art now and I get distracted yes I'm you know don't get me wrong I'm you know interested in all the sustainability things but mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. a lot of the a lot of the, a lot of the you know the talk around it I don't need to know I, I love what denim means to the normal person on the street yeah we all can wear it but it's yeah. you know I say I'm depicting the contemporary life that denim is our go-to garment, you know, it's yeah. the material of our time, I think. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, plastics there and stuff. But I think denim really rep- represents this time as much as anything. Mm-hmm. So, like, and it's just yeah. my pain. And, yes, there's times when I use it more as the concept side of it, and it's, it's just kind of my pain. Uh, so the manufacturing, like, you know, years and years ago, I remember, like, you know, when I used to, you know, I went viral before, you know, Instagram and stuff was around, and I yeah. used to get... You know, every day I used to open up things up and it started off actually with denim brands was more, but then more and more sort of mills every day was writing to me, asking me. Really? I had no, and I've realized that, you know, I'm from a textile town. I didn't really even know what denim mills were. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I didn't really even like think about it because, you know, it's like getting into history. This is years ago. Obviously, I know all this stuff now. But back 15 years ago, it was... Uh, you know, I didn't even really know, say, cone mills and white oak and things. And, you know, yeah. obviously hundreds and hundreds of mills. You know, yeah, I'm, a t- yeah. I'm a town with mills, but that was uh, wool. 
you know, I never really paid much interest in that other than the yeah. history and the industrial revolution. So it wasn't a side and, you know, I knew the history of it, of the fake history even of like Levi's selling the looms to Japan, which, you know, is just another myth. It's not even like a true story. Right. But, you know, most people out there think that Levi's make the denim as well. Like, I think everyone forgets these kind of things. That, <laughs> yeah. You know, we're so embraced, like we're so into them. There's a language going on that people think people just assume. And like right, like right now, I find that mills all want to be brands as well. I feel okay. like they want, you know, they seem to want to be end consumer to to know who they are and almost yeah. the material yeah. now. Yeah. And they're all acting like brands now, which in a size is cool, but it's also like very B two B. So it's very confusing market sometimes where you know there's a become a very blurred line between the um the mills designers brands and stuff and uh, yeah i'm not an expert on the, the material like weights and stuff like this so mm. how it's made okay sometimes if i don't know something fully i act like i don't know anything at all but one thing i did realize a few years ago but i really 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 noticed is you know like uh, washes and where things are and how it's mm. made and I remember going down to, I probably should even say the unnamed country down in South America, in a beautiful place. Um, but I'd been working on a project where I did uh, one of the most famous person's face. Um, okay. I don't want to say anything because I don't want to out which meal and brand it was. Yeah. And, you know, I'd been using a donated gene in lots of them to make this face as well as mm -hmm. the family of the person who gave me their genes. But I was very, very familiar with the washers, the, the stitches, everything. When I got invited while I was out there to a Millard collaborate with a brand, a, you know, a former famous brand when it was in the UK, it's not here anymore, uh, it's mm -hmm. in Europe, so you can start working out which one it is. And I was looking at these new these collaboration genes and I was like looking and just like thinking, oh my God. And it was the same gene that I'd used to make this famous person's face. So I was very, very familiar. I was like, what? And I said to the person, I said, wow, this is just like a <clears throat> brand gene. Mm -hmm. And they were like, oh yes, we get our inspiration from everywhere. And I said, but this is exactly the same with a logo. I said, yeah. <laughs> and I was just like, wow. And it was just so like, oh, yeah. And that's yeah. been a familiar thing that I've been finding. Yeah. Um, I'd say, what is interesting, Ian, is the fact that, I mean, obviously you're an artist first, but like you say, you're just using denim, aren't you? That is your paint. Um, and actually, I think you undersell yourself because I know you're in the top 30, under 30s in the art world at one point, maybe a few years ago. But, you know, you you've, I, I, it's really easy for me now to understand more about you and, and, and your art form. And it's interesting to see that the fashion industry has jumped on that and thought, actually, we can utilize this guy, whether it's, you know, through mills or whatever it is to kind of boost what they do from a product point of view. Whereas for you, it's, it is, it's something that you love, but it is a commodity that you need to do what you love, isn't it? I mean, that's in essence what it is. Yeah, I mean, it's. I always think art. The difference is art is. I always say to people, like, what is it? And I said, if something looks confident, if you've if you've enjoyed doing it, it looks confident. People buy into it. You know, sometimes I can be geography to to mills. Like, you know, I love loads of people. I know lots of people who work in the mills and the advertising part in the actual mills. You know, I lo mm -hmm. love loads of people, and it's not that. It's just that. You know, my most common email you know, for a long time was, oh, can you come and show at this trade fair? Can you come and show on Abu? But, you know, and it's just like, well, what's the story? I was like, yeah. you know, what, what's, what's the connection? What, yeah. It's like, I am using jeans. It's like your jeans, but like, what is it? And I'm like, you know, I didn't specifically say that. And <laughs> not, at the time, I normally wrote, wrote back as a as an agent saying, oh, yeah, yeah, Ian's busy this year. Maybe next year. <laughs> <laughs> um, I do have one who can say that for me now. 
Um, <laughs> and like, don't get me wrong, it's flat, it's nice and flattering, it's not to demean it, but it's just like, well, what's the story? So, like, you know, by accident, I have used, you know, I have worked with some mills, you know, I've used, mm. you know, white oak, for example, again, there's like cow with the white oak I've, I've used. And that was, you know, I always say that, you know, I'm an artist. I don't, I, I want to work with somebody who wants to work, make me a better artist rather than just sell yeah. more cloth. Of course. And, yeah. you know, they've been great. I love history. So there's a big, mm-hmm. big sign of that. And, you know, the whole thing happened by accident um, mm. because I, I met somebody and I needed, you know, lots of material. It yeah. so happened, but it was ended up being some of the last material from White Oak, and that got some of the headlines. Um, I know that upset a lot of other mills. Mm. And, you know, I'm not here to get into the politics of, you know, the petty arguments about who's, mm. who's mills here and who's collaborating with this person, who's collaborating with that person, just to mm. talk to each other all the time at these trade fairs and yeah. you know, this insular kind of thing which most of the general consumer doesn't give a damn about to be yeah, honest absolutely <laughs> absolutely you know it's for, we're all talking an echo chamber most of the time yeah um so in our case you know i like nice people but i'm not interested in you know the, in the, the politics. politics and all this yeah. fighting and all this kind of masking the lies and things of sustainability yeah you know, there's loads of people doing good things don't be wrong but there's loads of people who are just like masking it and you know at the end of the day they're still wanting to sell more and more and more and more and more Absolutely. and more and wrap it in plastic. Yeah. So. Yeah. Yeah. No, it's, it, it, you touch on a point there. And again, we could talk about sustainability <laughs> and upcycling and everything else. Which is fine. I, you know what? I, I want to ask you a couple of questions about your boy, because it was really interesting what you said about obviously getting him into the kind of vibe of everything. Cause you did something last year, didn't you? With, um, with the NHS and you kind of, you did the hands thing, didn't you? Do you want to talk a little bit about how that all came about? Cause that's fascinating. Yeah, I mean, it was very much by accident. I mean, think about it. I mean, this time last year, I think I was almost like burnt out and exhausted by, mm. by the whole thing because it happened by accident. It was just non, non-stop and it took off without me. Yeah, even yeah. Kind of trying to. I don't mm. want to say I didn't, didn't try because I did in the end. Um, but I remember the, I, I had, like, you know, when lockdown happened, uh, there was, you know, I, I had a lot of things going on, but in the fall, and my work is really time consuming. Mm. And, you know, as I said before, led, you know, thinking about what I'm doing. And I had loads of things on. So I was just like, actually, this is perfect. Now, I'm in isolation anyway. Yeah. My, my studio's in my home and I live in isolation anyway. So I thought, right, I'm just going to turn off and just get on with the stuff rather than being stressed later in the year. And I then realized that a lot of my shoots were getting canceled of taking pictures of people in their homes. So I couldn't do that. Um, so I did a project on that, and then when the first Thursday happened, and I know you have listeners in other countries, mm-hmm. the clapping happened. Yeah, and my son completely loved it. Uh, I think in the day he'd done a rainbow to send to his grandma, and then he wanted to portray these clapping hands. Mm-hmm. We were talking about, it and it's, you know, I remember talking saying that it's very hard to show clapping because it's either like if it's open, it looks washed; if it's closed, it looks like praying. So you almost <laughs> need the animation. Yeah, and we'd be making stuff because obviously he was at home by that point, homeschooling, and he was just wanting to make art. And we decided to make this pair of clapping hands, mm-hmm. and you know, all our jeans. For some reason, he took a photo of my hands. I probably should have taken a picture of his, but anyway. And I we animated them, and he sat with me while I was working. He was drawing his own things by that point, and. It was to send to a few friends or to make some greeting cards to send. My sister's in the NHS now, and um, his sister, um, my wife's sister in um, Sweden, is in 
yeah. um, hospital, hospital um, mm-hmm. on the COVID team. So that's why I was saying it's it, by the clapping, because it got very negative, obviously, in the end, we were able to explain to him what it was all about. And suddenly the heroes, you know, you know, it seems so strange now because it goes back to another time and a different, a completely different mentality as well. So much has happened, but the mentality mm-hmm. has changed. So I even feel uncomfortable even talking about these things. But you know, we were celebrating people. We were clapping for them. But it wasn't just that; it stood for a lot more. You know, money for the NHS and workers have come into it now. But it, you know, it was little things like I think, you know, if somebody was queuing for a coffee and saw an NHS worker, but let them go in front of them. Mm-hmm. I don't think there's any of that kind of thing now. And uh, I mean, I would just remember going around with my son Elliot and you know seeing an ambulance driver and he had green on. But he saw the NHS on it, which is mm-hmm. green as well. He's mm-hmm. been used to seeing blue. He was like, Daddy, Daddy, look, look. NHS, NHS. And he was seeing it like superheroes. Oh. And, you know, a lot of us said, Oh, we don't want to be seeing like heroes and things. But it was this thing where, like, I prefer him to see these people, you know, trained to be doctors, nurses, mm. paramedics, all these, you know, and then obviously then all the other people who are doing things. Because I'm quite sick of all the people we, class as heroes now to be honest yeah you know through his instagram influencers and all this yeah. kind of stuff it's yeah. just yeah. Like, i don't want him looking up to these people to be honest mm-hmm. i probably sound really old-fashioned now but it's just like these people are just like so i was really moved by that <laughs> so a long-winded way of saying that these clapping hands we animated them and it, it was just gonna be about like a little whatsapp message to some friends just saying a oh, big thank you mm-hmm. and he then was watching a film on the projector and he said oh can we put the clapping hands on her he projected then we put it on we projected it off the balcony which you can't see now i'm looking out there's a canal outside on the wall opposite and we're like oh this is cool i mean now the the, the roof where we live, live in london um can be seen from quite far so we tried putting mm-hmm. it on but it didn't work so then i tried getting a stronger projector and which led me to a guy called andrew hall in newcastle mm-hmm. and that was just like setting, like setting light to the Tinder paper because uh, <laughs> you know he, he, I, I went from you know interest in hiring or buying a projector and he then arranged for this you know he was asked what it was for within a few days it was on like the Baltic in Newcastle um, <laughs> Angel of the North then through his network and friends it was um, Edinburgh Castle BT wow. Birmingham. Um, ended up in Greensboro, North Carolina, in New Orleans, Mexico oh City, Colombia, Australia, and <laughs> so many different countries. And then, then, then it spread. Yeah. And, you know, it went from John O'Groats to um, Land's End, mm-hmm. most cities in between. So it was all over Wales. You know, Scotland actually was really, really good. Um, ended up all around Ireland, uh, Italy. And so who managed that then, Ian? Was it was it like a PR company? Or? <laughs> no, it was me. <laughs> that's, that's, that's the thing. I was just like, I was like, it was crazy. So I was waking up every morning. Even if I, I couldn't sleep. If I woke up at like two o'clock in the night, I was like, looked at my phone and somebody had sent pictures. And, you know, foreign listeners wouldn't understand this. The way that it went out of my control, I always say, is that it ended up on Elland Road, which is a football ground of yeah. my Lead. football team's biggest rivals, Leeds yeah. United. And I, <laughs> I use that as an example to prove that it wasn't me arranging all of them. <laughs> <laughs> There's no um, placement just do yeah, that. But I mean, it? there yeah. was, um, and I tell you, like the ones which you had to like, because really, a lot of them were a gorilla, for example. But then there was a mm-hmm. lot of official ones, like uh, mm-hmm. on universities and hospitals, and you had to do a lot of paperwork and a lot of bump and stuff to to try and get it 
to try and get it through. But it was very much me, and then also like trying to like feed it for the media. But it was so it was, it was just like you know it's just non non stop. So I'd gone from wow. wanting to just concentrate on my own work to doing this thing, and I I don't think I'd realised really because I hadn't intended to do it that it ended up being a part of my art. I ended up you know I had a museum show in Holland, and you know this projection, the video documentary about it, and wow. that pieces are actually in the museum. And, you know, standing back, it was very much like, oh, hang on, this is kind of a lot of what my work's about. It's very different, but, you know, people say, oh, it's genes, oh, it's a genius, and all these kind of gimmicky lines, but it's just like, mm. you just stand back, and when people see the work in real life, they see the true meanings, and it's often community, mm. the change of fabric of our urban environment, in the, I just used a pun accidentally, um, <laughs> and, you know, like, the laundrettes and the pubs are closing down, that's where people, you know, our soap operas depict most of our scenes in the pub. Yeah. in laundrettes and yeah. these places where people would meet talk have been lost to this new world and i did another body of work called behind closed doors which showed people alone in very nice homes but alone and it showed like this kind of world that we are coming into kind of mm. which obviously that body of work took on a new life you know as we became isolated yeah but you know this whole clapping thing it became a community thing mm-hmm you know, and I always used to say, like, you know, about the rainbow. You know, my mum rang me saying, oh, I'd really love Elliot to draw me a rainbow. You know, she didn't ask me, the international artist, to do a rainbow. <laughs> you know, she wanted it from my like, her grandson. Yeah. And the same with the the clapping. It started as this thing where you'd see kids on cul-de-sacs clapping with their little drawings. Yeah. That's what people yeah. wanted to see. And then yeah. it just came into this stupid world where, you know, Boris Johnson was clapping and Keir Starmer was clapping and it, you know by the end it was like oh boris johnson leads the clapping it's as well it became politics it was like this yeah. was ground roots this was from the people yeah and you know it became very stressful so there was loads of projections that went on that i never even showed anybody and talked about because i was just yeah. like i can't be dealing with all this politics yeah 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 um, and it was but yeah i mean we've raised some good money that's um, amazing in so many places like nearly every town in the uk and you know by the end for the nhs birthday we did it on some hospitals mm. um so that was that was really good but <laughs> the irony thing because obviously my work is very crafted it's very time consuming which you know to the general public um you know sometimes they think art is like oh just wishy-washy and just this and hide and in for his new clothes which mm. you know, a lot of that i actually know the, the stories behind them a lot there's a famous curator in America called Ian Berry. There's also a famous um, Magnum photographer. Mm. And I get their Google alerts as well. <laughs> and, what, and one came through and it's like, oh, how digital art is taking over the art world. And that's how, what museums want. And I just groaned when it came. I was like, oh. <laughs> Obviously seeing myself as like this very, you know, labor-intensive, time-consuming craft kind yeah. of orientated work. And then I, looked, then I looked at it thinking it was going to be another Ian Berry. And I was like, oh. It's me. <laughs> so probably what David Hockney was doing. And then it was like, I think Barry's doing this. And it was uh, showing a projection in Greensboro. I was like, ah. And by accident, I realized it was a different thing. And you know, at times, I do get frustrated with denim. There's so much stuff I want to do with denim. Mm. But this pigeonholing is, um, yeah, I think we spoke about this before. About mm. Yeah, we did. Denim artist. Yeah. It's yeah. just like, well, I'm an artist. I'm just using the medium. It's not yeah. the denim yeah. industry. I'm not... Uh, it also makes it sound like there should be a whole load of us. And, um, Do you know what, though? I think, you know, listen to you speak there. It's pretty obvious that it goes way, way, way beyond just 
just a fabrication. I mean, it, it, truthfully, it does, you know, um, and I'm sure that will come across. And I know you've done other interviews and you've, there's plenty of you, and you know, kind of documented on YouTube and everything else. And, you know, the whole social media thing is, and I know we talked about this before, it must be quite frustrating for you because it is very flat, isn't it? You know, your work looks flat, but actually the, the platform, social media can be quite flat in its, well, this is what we're putting out and this is what you, you know, you're always trying to put something onto somebody without really explaining the essence of what you're doing. Um, what's your relationship like with social media, Ian? Um, I'm not, I mean, this goes back to the advertising. So when I would trade to be an advertising, um, you know, we were told, oh yeah, um, uh, online is going to be the big thing and stuff. Yeah. But at the time, like online to us was um, pop-ups and banners, you know, the annoying pop-ups when you go on a website, <laughs> the big, yeah, you don't see that. That's, you know, that's what we thought. And there was one or two that kind of uh, pre- like saw what was coming. I wouldn't probably be able to get a job back in advertising now because, you know, I was trained to, to be around the idea. Yeah. Whereas now, like, I mean, I even, I've even judged some awards and stuff and like, they think an idea is getting somebody to Instagram about it, mm-hmm. you know, and okay, you know, it's, it's, that's the same as like somebody in the past saying, get it on TV, but it's got to be tailored audience. So yes, you can get people to Instagram, but do they say the right values or is it just numbers and numbers? Yeah. And people just care about the, the numbers now. And, you know, at the end of the day, like, you know, I probably only got about 20, 25 clients. Mm-hmm. Buy buy my work, and you know, mm-hmm. none of them are really on Instagram. <laughs> yeah, and yeah. you know, it's only because of a fashion relationship where sometimes I care about Instagram. And yes, I have a very loyal following. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm, I'm told that I have a, a lot of um, comments for per my following ratio or something, mm-hmm. um, probably because they're real. Yeah, um, but yeah, it's, it's this thing online. Like I love when people come to the shows and see the work in real. You know, how you start the show of you haven't seen the work but that first impression that you have and yeah sometimes i miss that online because you know if i do a show people see the work online sometimes after 10 years of knowing my work but like, mm. oh my god i had no idea it was like this we see the details we see mm. the size of them mm. you know obviously the size doesn't look good on instagram mm. and it's just a, it's just a quick thing i mean most of the time i get people asking like oh what paint do you use and it's just like no, it's just all denim <laughs> or presume it's jigsaw or this kind of thing. Yeah. Um, so it's not, but it's also, it's, you know, I'm doing things. I'm always busy. I've got shows on all the time. I'm, I'm busy. So I'm not, you know, always wanting, and when I'm making things, I'm not always wanting to post stuff. I, I did go through a phase where my gallery wouldn't actually let me post any work until they had it. Really? Uh, yeah. they, they used to have, I've been in, they used to have fight. People used to fight over who could see my work first. Oh, I shouldn't really say this, but yeah, sometimes um, <laughs> quite, quite funny and there's a lot of politics around it. So I wasn't allowed to post. I might get in trouble for saying this. Um, I wasn't allowed to post new work, so it becomes very stale. Like I would you know, be reposting articles about me, or not, you know. So I'd go quiet for a long time. Yeah, and to be honest, like six months before an exhibition, I normally just go quiet because I've just wasted so much time. But I'm just mm. intense working sixteen-hour mm. days and just mm. non-stop. So I'm not posting. But it is, you know, you, you said it, it's a bit flat, and you know, I think Instagram and stuff, you know artists and other people are in the same kind of thing as you know, people with flat abs kind of things yeah, <laughs> you know, like yeah, yeah sometimes yeah. i think yeah. you know would i have been better working out in the gym and getting a six-pack and posting next to the work and trust me there's artists out there who do that you know they might have two or three hundred thousand followers and stuff but yeah. have they ever had a gallery show or a museum show or actually yeah so it's a strange so it's a strange way but it is a platform i've made many artist friends um many textile artist friends many denim friends on on there so it is 
you know, you know my work's about community, but I also mm. like face to face. And it's also this thing where sometimes I go on and post, but then I'm not looking at other people's stuff. So it's, yeah. you know, it should work two, two ways. I just sometimes get off because I'm just busy. So it's, it, it's a strange one. I mean, there's mm. lots of, say, well-known artists who have got under a thousand followers. Yeah, which is, wow. You know, yeah. and, yeah. you know, then there's a flip side of that. But obviously, then there's loads of brilliant artists who have done it really well. Yeah. It, it's just, um, you know, it's another art form in, its, in itself. Mm. And mm. I, I want to I, I ask you a strange. quick question. I want to ask you a quick question about um, you've just sparked a, an idea because there's a big talk at the moment about NFTs. Yes. Um, and especially in the art world. And that's kind of filtering into the fashion industry with you know, creators, obviously, having some kind of provenance behind their work. Um, is that something that would be of interest to you or not? Or are you kind of not, does that not, do you understand the value of it, first of all? And if you do, is it something that you'd adopt? Uh, so it's a question which is good with time because I know a little bit more about it now. Mm. I think um, my first reaction was... I'm going to get a bit in for this. My first reaction was, <laughs> was probably grumpy Northern Yorkshire man as, um, you know, it's just another tool of tax evasion. It's another tool of uh, Empress New Coast and this kind of thing. Yeah. I have come to understand, like, I think eventually, I probably think it will break through. Um, creatives will find a way to do well, because I don't think at the moment a lot have. Mm. Um, it's just rushing to do to just to do something and just uh, oh this work I'll put it online somehow and change it a little bit. Yeah, you know, I've even had people you know found out that this is officially wrong as well. I've had people take my work, make the hair move or something like that, put it up as an NFT for like ten thousand pounds. Didn't even ask me. Really? <laughs> yeah. Oh my goodness. Wow. Uh, you know, there's a lot of that kind of stuff out there, and it, it's so. But having said that, there's. there's I had a meeting with someone just a few days ago and I was just like, no, this would be good. I've been wanting to do this for years and maybe that could be what we put up. And it's, it's like, Oh, all these things I keep complaining about, you know, we said Mm -hmm. Instagram Mm -hmm. is flat. Mm -hmm. I've been wanting to do things to make my work not flat online. Yeah. is the way that I can show that and have the original Alice and NFT. I feel bad saying this because I I never, ever say anything what I might do before I do it. (laughs) Um, yeah, and you know, you said about providence. I think that's important. Mm-hmm. Like you know, the originality, and I think in future, you know, it goes back to you know, it's learning from my mistakes. I knew about mm-hmm. Instagram way before anybody else seemed to. Yeah, and, yeah. You know, new yeah. people were getting big on there, and you know, even when TikTok was taking off, what was going on? I kind of yeah. got my name on there, and then never yeah. did it. Yeah, um, I think I think for me though, I, I think a lot of creatives, you know, they are. And rightly so, quite protective. You know, if you're a designer, you're a protective, you know, because it is your art, you know, it is it has come from your heart and your soul. And, you know, why should you why should your craft be bastardized in that way? You know? So I completely get it from that perspective. Like you say, it is still relatively early days, and there is a lot of bandwagon jumping, shall we say. Mm. Um, I just hope it I hope it works for the right reasons with the right people. That's I mean, that's my point of view on it. The thing where I thought as well is like obviously you know, a lot of the wealthy artists got on it and things, and that's who a lot of people are interested in. But the thing that I saw is, you know, is there an opportunity for these younger um, artists? Is there an opportunity for, you know, people who are really creative to be supported? Mm-hmm. It's another avenue maybe of supporting artists, mm-hmm. which is always a, a good a good thing. Yeah. Um, 
you know, just doing it for the sake of doing something. I don't fully agree with that, but I do think eventually it'll find a niche. I mean, at the end of at the end of the day, I think it's Philip. Is it Phillips or Christie's? Uh, one of the auction houses. Christie's, it was. Yeah, it's Christie's is has been doing things. So I mm-hmm. think you know it, it's going to have a place, mm-hmm. um, but I think it'll find a place in its own creative place, and you know they'll probably look back at what worked, what didn't work, mm. and hopefully the stuff what people put some time and thought and you know rather than taking something from this world just putting it in a digital world yeah you know, thinking what's right for the digital world mm-hmm. from their own ideas rather than just as an extension to make a bit of money and i think um i think it can take off and you know you talked about fashion and it was interesting because i was thinking this the other day because you know i'm often around people who are innovators in fashion and mm-hmm. you know the textile museum but i was in Sweden, the university next time is an amazing university. I've blown away actually. Walked around the university, which is kind of connected to the National Textile Museum in Sweden. Yeah, and the equipment there, the guy who ran it was just full of innovation, and you know one of theirs, which is probably you know obviously I get some of these secondhand often. You know, people in fashion probably quicker mm-hmm. to know things than I am. But, you know, just to say that, you know, may, maybe, maybe you can argue it doesn't also sound sustainable, but maybe you can fly over to another country and not take any clothes with you, but you can get scanned beforehand and have things printed on the other side, for example. Yeah, um, yeah, you know, that was yeah. a technology. That was kind of the example of what it could be. I'm sure yeah. there's ways that people could argue maybe that's not so sustainable or I don't know. Um, but just for ways that you can use technology to do things just blows yeah. my mind. Yeah. It's it even like it's even like <laughs> I'm I'm someone who goes on the tube and gets frustrated when it's a minute late or five minutes <laughs> late. But then stand back and think, wow, this thing was made 150 years ago. <laughs> yeah, how, how like, you know, get frustrated with the <laughs> iPhone and you think, how are we touching like going back to a caveman, how are we doing these things? And yeah. the same I still think about denim. Yeah. You, know, you see yeah. a cotton plant. You know, very few people, I think, really think. See it, it's real full. Like, how do you go from that to that? Yeah. And I just think it's unbelievable. Yeah. Just a little story I like to get in is everybody <laughs> talks about denim. Everyone yeah. talks about denim. And it's always Neem and Genoa, which is denim and jeans, mm-hmm. obviously from the names and obviously the history. I mean, it always jumps hundreds of years to um, Levi's in California. It's like, well, mm-hmm. what happened in between? And yeah. The thing always seems to get missed out is my area. Okay, maybe Lancashire, but the place where they invented the machinery. Without mm-hmm. that, we wouldn't have mass production. What's Levi's known for and what's Jeans known for is kind of mass production. Mm-hmm. And, you know, without the machinery of, you know, Northern England Industrial Revolution, it wouldn't have been able to happen like yeah. that, I think. Yeah. Um, yeah. The thing why, if I do a lecture, I always say, like, oh, where does the, um, the name um, Denim come from? There's always some clever guy saying, "Oh yeah, it's from uh, in France." <laughs> I was like, "Oh well, yeah, but it's actually uh, it's from it's in England because we didn't want to have the French sounding cloth." So um, <laughs> those English are the ones who were like, oh, "Serge Denim." <laughs> <Get him." laughs> so I always say it's in English. Yeah, <laughs> that's yeah, cool. I think sometimes I always feel like um, wrong as a Yorkshireman using denim, but as an Englishman because England isn't really famous for denim. Yeah, we have a lot of famous people wore it. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, there's Lee Cooper as a brand, and then mm-hmm. from 1973, but it's not mm-hmm. synonymous with denim brands. And now it's, you know, it's getting its own reputation now. With, yeah, yeah. You know, Black Cost Lane, Hewitt Denim, yeah, you know, small, smaller, um, you know, raw denim kind of brands. Yeah, um, but it, you know, the fashion brands have denim, but it's not known for denim. Does that make mm-hmm. sense? For example, yeah, I lived, in Sweden. I lived in Sweden six yeah. years, and yeah. um, you know, the, the start of 
the Thames. And that time, denim just blew up. Yeah, was, you had Nudie you know, and those types you know, of brands. Those yeah. new, like Nudie yeah. and um, I think I just counted about 11, which were mm. internationally well-known at the time. You know, there's mm-hmm. more now. Mm-hmm. Uh, like Pace back then, I think Pace actually went under. Um, yeah. There's so, so many. And I was like, who in England do we have who is an outright denim brand like that? And it was yeah. it didn't have the same culture, whereas it's now growing a lot, a lot more. Yeah, and, um, obviously maybe more with denim heads and things, but yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Oh, well, that's that's a whole different podcast. Yeah, yeah. That, that whole <laughs> yes, denim yeah. Things. So listen, I mean, it's fascinating, and we seriously, if we ever did this over a beer, which hopefully we will at some point, I'm sure we could talk wax lyrical for a long, long, long time. But what are you working on next, Any, and what's what's coming up for you over the next kind of six months or so? Uh, so the, the the big one I've got a show in Sweden. Mm-hmm. Uh, the National Textile Museum called Textile Museum, which um, this amazing place. As I said, I, I live there. The show's actually completely unrelated to me living there. Um, and you know, it's probably going to be the largest show. Um, wow. yeah, so actually, I should step back a little bit. My show in Holland, which is uh, in Ryswijk by The Hague, uh, reopens hopefully within a few weeks and is on till August. And mm-hmm. that shows a lot of my, you know, it's, it's kind of, part retrospective of mine, um, part linking all the isolation scenes mm-hmm. that I've done over the years, which linked with last year. And so then in October, it'll be at Textile Museum, uh, which I'm going to, I've got to be very careful what I say. Um, I'm, I'm going to look at, say, I've always kind of said, my work isn't about denim, I'm more than the material, and, this, and now I'm going the opposite direction where I'm going to look more into the history of denim, the, um, the social influences and the movements cool. and yeah. what denim means more as a medium for me and for history more so than ever done because it's you know it's a fashion museum for example when i was there the the bna show from uh, versace was showing mm-hmm. and you know so it's kind of i've wanted to do this work for years it's something which i'm kind of passionate about and interested in but you know in the art art world yeah. Yes, it's an art world museum, but it's kind of a fashion museum as well. And I thought, actually, this is a really good time to to look at these things and show show this audience mm-hmm. uh, these things. So, um, yeah, I mean, I'm a little bit behind because I'm one of these people who have got long COVID. It's, it seems to be oh, a lot okay. of save it if they've got it. Oh, um, yeah. So I'm working my ass off at the moment. Yeah. Uh, I don't want to say fully what I'm doing with it yeah, um, okay. because it works time and yeah. – uh, I have a lot of people who follow me, for example. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> so yeah. I, well, I, you know, I, I get that. I get that. But I always say, like, you keep can, your powder dry. You, That's you, what you're you, you can, um, you can copy me, but you can copy what I've done, but you can't copy what I'm going to do. Is um, exactly the thing which I kind of uh, keep pushing. And to I be honest, that. I think it's great because uh, in many ways it keeps pushing me. It keeps pushing mm-hmm. me to better, work harder, and um, mm-hmm. in many ways, and should be quite thankful because the work just keeps getting better and better, and you know, that determination and. Um, things so uh no so cool so cool well listen mate honestly it's just been a joy it's been fabulous talking to you and finding a little bit more about how you tick um your work is incredible um obviously people can see you well see your product in museums and and online and and throughout social media but how can what's the best way for people to kind of connect with you is there is there any way that they can kind of is it through instagram or social media or your website what's the best way 
Um, it's definitely, um, you know, we've probably just knocked it a little bit. Instagram's still my best um, mm -hmm. connector. It was Facebook. I think I'm equal on numbers now and there. But, yeah, I'm definitely on Instagram more. Yeah. Yeah, if somebody wants to really get my attention, it's still the old school email. Um, cool. I get really frustrated with business stuff coming through the Instagram DMs because you keep losing them. <laughs> yeah, yeah, so yeah. much comes in, yeah. but you just can't keep keep on top of that. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. But yeah, it's uh, it's 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 those ways. But there's no way better to see my work than in person than um, seeing it uh, live. So yeah, they'll be in Genoa and it's in. Sweden, which will be on until April 2022, which will be okay. A long run. Plenty of time. Uh, not that you know everybody you're listening to will turn up in Sweden. Mm -hmm. <laughs> um, is that in Stockholm? Is it in Stockholm? It's, in, uh, it's just outside Gothenburg in Borås, okay. which is where yeah. the textile revolution of Sweden happened. Um, okay. So it's um, you know, this national museum. It's you know it's, they have amazing shows. Like I knew about it when I lived there. I was in the south of Sweden. This is kind yeah. of in the middle of the country. Uh, yeah, like Gothenburg, yeah. Which you know you mentioned nudie. And, yeah, yeah. You know, there's a lot of um, there's a lot of brands from there I could mention, but some of them are more the high street brands. Let's say. Yeah, yeah. Um, I get you. I know so what you're talking there's all, about. There's all, but there's, but it's, it's, it was interesting. There is the industry might have gone to cheaper shores, but there's still a lot of innovation, mm. and still like in my hometown. You know, the university there is brilliant for textiles. There's so much innovation. Mm. It's just a big text. You know, there's still, you know, to put Huddersfield on a on a um, on a cloth still has value to it. Yeah, um, but it's just not mass anymore. Yeah, um, yeah. But you know, my argument on all these things is we should have more locally made things. Yeah, just, yeah. You know, flying around the world, and you know, what about sustainability of people as well? Jobs, absolutely, absolutely. But very few people are talking about that on this trend of sustainability mm. it's like well what mm. about sustainability of people as well hand in hand and you know fast fashion brands having cheap jeans for 14 pounds and saying mm. sustainable but somebody's getting screwed <laughs> absolutely well you know we've we've circled right round we started off with Huddersfield and we came back to Huddersfield <laughs> oh dear all my friends which will is, say you always bring is... me back to Huddersfield <laughs> yeah you can take the lad out of Huddersfield yeah yeah yeah, you, yeah, yeah. <laughs> listen man yeah. Uh, it's been brilliant honestly I thoroughly enjoyed it I know my listeners will uh, will lap this one up and um, yeah can Continue to success, my friend. I wish you all the best with your uh, with your exhibitions. And um, yeah, let's keep in touch. Thank well, you for your time, Ian. Well, I really well, appreciate. Well, Cheers, man. If you have that beer, it could be in East London or it could be in Western. Or it could be in Huston or Huddersfield. <laughs> oh yeah, Huddersfield. It'd be a lot cheaper. I oh, love it. It'd be a lot cheaper. We can stop it without head on it. <laughs> all right, mate. Take care. See you in a bit. Cheers, right. Cheers, bye, 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 bye. bye. What an absolute talent there, listeners. I hope you enjoyed that. I hope you also checked out Ian's Instagram, as I mentioned earlier in the show. Um, and good luck, Ian. Good luck with all your upcoming exhibitions. And I'm sure we'll bump into each other soon, somewhere along the line. Anyway, guys, in the next episode, we meet a lady called Catherine Schuller. And Catherine is probably one of the most hardest working individuals I know. And to say that she's got a few stories, well, <laughs> that is one hell of an understatement, that's for sure. Join me next time to hear how Catherine broke the stereotypes within the modelling industry, how her life intertwined and was connected with Marvel Comics, and how she's such an influential person within the fashion scene within New York. Um, yeah, loads to talk about, loads to enjoy, and I'm so, so looking forward to bringing you that episode next time. But until then, have a great time, and I will see you soon. Behind the Brands was brought to you in association with beforestores.com. 
go check it out. You can discover new brands, meet the makers and their products before they go into stores. So if you've enjoyed this podcast, please don't forget to leave us a review. We'd really appreciate your feedback. You can also subscribe for future episodes by tapping the follow button wherever you get your podcasts. So until next time, keep learning, keep listening, and keep creative.